now that you are seated, I would ask that you would uh, rise for the reading of God's Word. We have two readings this morning, one from Joshua, the other 2 Corinthians. The first is Joshua 21, 43 to 45. So the Lord gave Israel all the land he had sworn to give it their ancestors, and they took possession of it and settled there. The Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their ancestors. Not one of their enemies withstood them. The Lord gave all their enemies into their hands. Not one of all the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Every one of them was fulfilled. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Second Corinthians chapter 1, verses 12 to 24. Now this is our boast. Our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially in our relations with you with integrity and godly sincerity. We have done so relying not on worldly wisdom but on God's grace. For we do not write you anything you cannot read or understand. And I hope that, as you have understood us in part, you will come to understand fully that you can boast of us just as we boast of you in the day of the Lord Jesus. Because I was confident of this, I wanted to visit you first so that you might benefit twice. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and then to have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I fickle when I intended to do this? Or do I make my plans in a worldly manner so that in the same breath I say both yes, yes, and no, no? But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. I call God as my witness, and I stake my life on it, that it was in order to spare you that I did not return to Corinth. Not that we lorded over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, because it is by faith you stand firm. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Bob. Coming down out here, I'm going to ask you as we come to hear God's word to take a moment where you are, and some of you may have children, it may be difficult, but to take a moment where you are and ask God to give you something good, to ask him to give you something that makes you alive, that makes you nourished, that makes you aware that he is with you. Take a moment. Father, hear your people whom you adore as they ask for your help.
you know the great many ways in which we are a great burden to ourselves. You know the weights that we endure from waiting. You know the aggravations and the expense to our soul from the strain of living. You know the burdens that we carry. Father, I am enormously confident in your goodwill toward your people. And I pray that you would demonstrate it to them right now. That you would give me an instructed tongue that knows the way to console the weary. And that those who hear this message would hear from Christ himself. That you would take these words and make them useful. And as people hear them, that minds and bodies and emotions would be healed. That your spirit would be unleashed. That an increase of understanding would happen. That we would flourish as a one-anothering community. We would grow in our witness to the world and our work and in our ways and in our words. That you would form your people and overflow them with joy through the preaching of your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The earlier sermon at Lula Lake was remarkable. I just want you to know. This is going to be much scaled down, and I'm not sure how I'm going to do it because it's meant to be really short, and I've got a timer here. I think when the timer goes off, I'm just going to land the plane or else just drop the mic and walk away. When I was a senior in high school, I was pitching in a baseball game for my school, and in the preceding inning, there was an altercation at the plate. Our gigantic catcher who wound up playing college football slid into home plate. He was clearly safe because your team is always clearly safe. The umpire, as they always do erroneously, said it was out. Our coach, in ways that I'm sure he wished later that he hadn't, spoke kind words to the umpire, like, how may I pray for you? How's your mother doing? Our coach was livid. It was an important game. All games were important. It was an important moment in the game. And we were safe, and he called us out. And so when I went out the next inning to start taking my warm-up pitches, I was tossing to that same catcher who was in the play. And I threw this knuckle curve, which I sometimes knew what was going to happen when I released it. But not always. And that ball dropped in the dirt. The umpire happened to be standing in the backstop behind the catcher. The ball bounced he wasn't looking where he had no protection and the ball bounced up and it hit him in the leg and he immediately turned around, livid. And he said, you're out of here. He tossed me from the game. The only time that I can remember being ejected from any athletic contest in the playing of many games. And I was devastated. And you know what happened, no matter how many times I tried to explain it, no matter how many times I tried to help him understand, no matter how incredulous I was that he could think that I was good enough, that I was budding major league pitcher enough that I could bounce a ball in the dirt and have it bounce 15 feet behind me and hit him in the leg, he would not believe that I had not done it on purpose. He thought my coach put me up to it. He thought that we had consulted. He was an early conspiracy theorist. That there was this vast conspiracy for me to pay him back by hitting him with the ball. 
Years later, I met with him. I saw him because he had empired me as a kid, too. He would never believe me. It devastated me. That he came to this erroneous conclusion about me. And the Apostle Paul is writing to the Corinthians who have come to erroneous conclusions about him. He's told them that he's going to come visit, but he didn't come visit. And so they, they've gotten wonky with him. They had a painful visit together with him because he had to take care of some immorality. There are other teachers who have come in and they've cast doubts and aspersions against him. They've, they've poisoned the well against Paul. They said, he's not a real apostle. He's not, he's not very impressive. He don't talk too good. They've, they've undermined his authority and his affection in the community. And so the apostle is realizing they've come to faulty conclusions about him. They think he's duplicitous. They think he's not acting in accordance with God's grace, but in a worldly way. He's saying what's convenient. Yeah, I'm coming, but then he doesn't mean anything. He's like a politician. Read my lips. No new taxes, and then taxes come. And so he's trying to set them straight. But not because he's trying to defend himself, but because he's trying to work with them for their joy, he says. Because he wants to benefit them. This is what working according to God's grace does. And here's the thing that we learn. There's two brief points today. There's always more to understand, and there's always more to come. When Paul starts to explain to them, he says, he says, now this is our boast, our conscience testifies that we've conducted ourselves in the world and especially in our relations with you, and the holiness and sincerity that are from God. We're not duplicitous. We're acting in accordance with God's ways. We've not done so according to worldly wisdom, but according to God's grace. For we do not write anything you cannot read or understand. And I hope that as you have understood us in part, you will come to understand us fully so that you can boast of us just as we will boast of you in the day of the Lord. I want to... Have you noticed just for a second that part of the issue here is that they've come to a wrong understanding of the Apostle Paul. And so he says, there's always more to understand. He tells them, I hope that as you have understood us in part, you'll come to understand us fully. That's why he's explaining his plans. Actually, he says, though I had planned to visit you, and then I had planned to go on to Macedonia, and then I had planned to come back to you, the reason I didn't do that is because our last visit was so very painful that I thought it would be more beneficial to you if I didn't come this time, if I gave you some time to let the temperature cool down, if I gave some space to let wounds heal, because you can't run on a sprained ankle, so to let the sprain ease up before we could walk together and talk it out. He realizes that they've come to erroneous conclusions because they do not understand him fully. And one of the things that I would urge us to consider as comfort seekers, this series is called Seeking Comfort, as comfort seekers that some of the reason that we do not enjoy comfort in our relationships with one another is that we jump to erroneous conclusions very often because we do not understand. And so it is very often the case if you get sideways with someone, it's very often the case that someone's in sideways with you that they or you have come to a set of very erroneous conclusions about the other. 
I used to play a game with the children in the communicants class, and I would call it the ask me game. And I would have the children ask me questions, and every time they asked me a question, I would not answer. Ask me anything, and they'd ask me a question, I would keep my mouth shut. I was trying to show them this is what the Bible is. The Bible recognizes that if God does not reveal himself to us, we cannot know anything. The Bible is God's self-disclosure. It's his revelation. And the same is true with us. That we cannot know another unless they reveal themselves to us. And one of the things that people who are operating according to God's grace start to do is they start to have this humility to recognize, I don't know what's going on in you. And so I need to find out before I jump to erroneous conclusions, before I become your judge and your accuser, before I assume that I know why you looked at me in that funny way, why you didn't do the thing you said you would do, why you didn't call when you said you would call. Let me find out. Our whole world, our whole political realm right now could be characterized by people who pretend or assume they know. Every time the red team, let's see, every time the purple team and the green team, we'll just cast it out of our normal system. Every time the green team does something politically, the purple team says, oh, I know the real reason that they proposed that legislation, that they said that. What he really means is this. There's this constant insinuation, which is demonic. That's how devil acts. Did God really say And he inserts himself in our relationships when we start to make assumptions. There are people in your life, there are situations in your life where you assume things about other people that are simply not true. And as a result, you're alienated from them, you're hurt by them, and you might be hurt because you've told yourself the wrong things about it. And Paul is saying there's always more to understand. A community of humility that's operating according to God's grace, is always going to recognize, with my brothers and sisters, there's always more to understand. Dallas Willard said this, I have a three-step plan for humility, for the developing of humility. Never pretend. That's what grace lets you do, lets you be open. I don't have to pretend I'm better than I am. And never presume. And never push. You know, you can't, some things you can't, you have to pull, you can't push, you have to let people have their space. But never presume most of us think we're really good mind readers. If you go to a counselor, one of the things they'll help you understand is that so much of the trouble that you have is you're taking facts and you're putting a story around them and that story may be altogether wrong and you need to interrogate it sometimes. And a humble person will say, I know what I think about this, but I might be wrong. Let me not presume. Let me find out. When I hear stories about somebody, when people are in conflict, I don't think I've understood until I am confused. When I hear one side, I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. The other side is completely and totally and, and irradicably wrong. Irradicably? That's not a word. I just made that up. And then I hear the other side, and I say, oh, yeah, yeah, This is much more muddy. Once it gets muddy, I think, okay, now I'm arriving at some understanding. When I think I fully figured something out, I probably don't. So Paul wants them to realize there's always more to understand. And in a community of grace, this is essential. If you're going to have a good marriage, you're going to have a good relationship with church people, you can't assume that people are doing and acting the way you think they are. You don't know. And then he also says this, there's always more to come. 
He says, as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by me and Silas and Timothy, was not always, it was not yes and no, but for him has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now, this, it is God who makes you and me stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, he set his seal of ownership on us, and he put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. One of the reasons you buy a Toyota is because it is reliable. I've had other cars and I've had Toyotas and I don't like any other car. The apostle believes that God is reliable and that is the security that he depends on in the middle of every trouble. Because he knows that every time that God has made a promise in the scriptures, even though he once thought of Christ in all the wrong way, he didn't have a full understanding, Christ appeared to him and it shattered his understanding. And so now he realizes, like those men on the road to Emmaus, that everything the prophets ever promised, this coming son of David who would have shoulders broad enough to fit the expectations that Israel had of a king who was going to put death to death who was going to chase away sorrow and sighing, who was going to take away garments of despair and clothe the people with garments of praise, who was going to heal the brokenhearted and gather the exiles. Every time a promise like that was made and every time an Israelite wondered, is it going to happen? And every time they groaned like a child in the backseat of a car on their way to Disney World and they say, ah! It's taking too long. Paul says Christ is the God's yes to every promise. And he's come and he's risen again and we are one with him. And he's made a deposit of his life into our life to guarantee there's more to come. When you make a down payment, when you want to buy a car, you want to buy a house, you make a down payment. You are not allowed to say to someone, hey, can I just put down some money? I'll just put down some jelly beans. Or maybe a carton of chocolate milk. Will that suffice as a goodwill pledge of my intention to pay off the rest? If you offered that, they would say, have you taken your medicine, sir? Please get away from me. You cannot have the product. When you make a down payment, you put down U.S. dollars because that's what they want more of. And so you do put a pledge that is a guarantee that there's more of this thing. There's more U.S. dollars to come, so I'm putting down a payment, and there's more U.S. dollars to come after that. And Paul says, God has taken up residence in us as we believe. We have a new power source. We have new influences. We have the new capacity to love, to hope, to know the thoughts of God, to have the impress of his favor on us. And it's in us as a guarantee of God's ownership and... There's more God to come. The things that start happening in us, the desires that start getting kicked up, the righteousness that we start to aspire to, the love and the forgiveness that we start to want to be able to do, the hints that we start to be able to get of what a community could be, but it's not realized there's always more to come. Because the Spirit's here now, we have a little bit of God in us, as it were. And one day the whole universe is going to be nothing but God's presence that will eradicate all evil and we will be able to 
run. We will be able to understand him and each other. We will be able to say goodbye to sorrow. If you are discouraged right now and seeking comfort right now, I would urge you to think, are there ways that I need to understand the people around me? Are there ways I need to understand God? Because there's always more to understand. And am I believing that there's always more to come? When you search your scriptures, when you read the Bible daily, when you listen to sermons, are you, are you interacting with the promises that the scriptures make and then making the connection in your head? Wait a second, wait a second. Jesus said, if I ask anything according to his will, he will do it so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. That's a promise. And he's reliable. And not one of his words will fall to the ground. I'm going to hold him to that. He promises that he comforts me in all my troubles. He promises that he's the one who makes us stand firm in Christ when you're worried about your wayward kids or your wayward neighbor or you want to see people coming to Christ. God's the one who calls people into fellowship. Oh, Lord, do it because you promised. And no matter how dejected you get, no matter how feeble, no matter how frustrated, there's always more to come with the God who raises the dead. There's a lot in this life that we're not going to see happen, and there's a lot that we are. But the apostle has this hope that the Spirit, who is a guarantee of what is to come, makes us able to live as people who know that there's always more to come. In 1933, I think it was, when the Golden Gate Bridge was being built, Mr. Strauss was its supervisor, the general contractor over it, and this was during the Great Depression. It's a massive bridge, as you've seen, and there were all these people who signed up because they were out of work. They wanted to work there, but they weren't builders. They weren't engineers. They didn't know what to do, and one of the things they discovered is they were moving at a snail's pace. They weren't getting the work done, and so we met with the supervisors to try to figure out what is the problem, and it turns out that humans are the sort of people who if they think they're going to fall and plummet to their death from a high distance into the Pacific Ocean, they do not work very rapidly. It sort of occupies a lot of bandwidth and a lot of CPU space in the back of their heads. Every time they hit a hammer, every time they take a step, they're, if they're worried, I'm going to fall and I'm going to die and I'm getting paid $2 an hour, that may not be the best stew for success. And so as he talked to them, he realized this, and he decided, you know what i got to do? i got to put a safety net under the bridge. If I put a safety net under the bridge, it's going to cost, in current dollars, millions of dollars, and it's going to surely get us way off schedule, but I don't know how else to get the job done. And so he put a safety net under, wherever the men were working, there was a big safety net put underneath them. And much to his surprise, as he decided this is going to make us way over budget and it's going to get us way under schedule, off schedule, the men worked faster than ever. They saw some guys fall, and when they fell, guess what happened? They got caught. And so they kept working, and they got faster, and they got better, because once they were no longer afraid for their lives no longer focused on their own safety and security, they could then focus on their own success. They could focus on the work at hand. The Apostle Paul would urge you who believe in Jesus Christ 
that he is the answer to all of God's promises. And he is the answer to all the comfort you're seeking. And there's always more to him and to each other to understand. And there's always more to come. And if you let his presence and your union with him be this safety net to know that not even death is going to be the end of you. And there's no suffering that you won't be comforted from. And there's no deficit that you won't have his resources for. And there's no supply that you will ever not have because he will give you what you need. And there's no lack of love that you're going to experience because he's going to create love in you as you need it. As you realize these safety nets of Christ are there, you can more and more free up your heart and your mind to understand each other, to not pretend with each other, to not assume about each other, and to not give up on God who tells us there's always more to come, always more to me, and meets your eye. Oh, who of us will yield ourselves, will give ourselves to saying, Lord, help me understand. Help me see more and more of what is to come as your spirit dwells in me.